the Father, our Creator and Preserver, the Son who gave His life that we might live, and the Holy Spirit who calls and sanctifies us to be God's people forever. Amen. Amen. Let us confess our sin to Almighty God, our merciful Father. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we admit and confess our sinfulness. Because we are sinful by nature, we have turned away from you in our speaking and doing and thinking. We have done that which you forbid, and have not done the good that you demand. We, we do, do repent, repent and are truly sorry for these our sins. Have mercy on us, Father, because we give only death and only God's Son. Forgive us all sin of the past and present, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, move us to serve you faithfully in the future. Set, Set our feet on a new path of life, and build your kingdom here through our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness was won for us on the cross and is assured us by the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ in whose stead I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Son, Jesus Christ, you have overcome death and opened the gate of everlasting life to us. Grant that we, who celebrate with joy the day of our Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament reading appointed for this, the festival of the resurrection of our Lord, 
is from the prophet Isaiah, the 25th chapter. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from St. Paul's letter to the, the Corinthians, the first Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached. And so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the gospel of our Lord. Together now we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again from the, according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen.
grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the 16th chapter of St. Mark, these words. And the angel said to the women in the tomb, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you unto Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and they fled from the tomb, and they said nothing because they were afraid. This is our text. Blessed Easter morning, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ. The most memorable monarch of England, who is it? And I'm sure that with me, most of you would think right away, especially of that unusual king who had six wives and who decided that he would not put up with them all, and so he created his own church in order to deal with the conflicts that might result from it. King Henry VIII, you'll recall, even though his reign was about 25 years shorter than another monarch of England, Victoria, and were I to ask you, and who in your mind is the most memorable Prime Minister of England? You probably would say what most would, Winston Churchill, even though his time as Prime Minister was considerably shorter than that of another one in the 20th century, namely Margaret Thatcher. And it's about Margaret Thatcher that I have one of my favorite Easter anecdotes. You remember Margaret Thatcher. She was well known in political circles for being a woman of tenacity, of determination, the same sort that Winston Churchill had. She was known indeed to political friends and foes alike as being the Iron Lady. She was a lady who was in control of things. So much so that shortly after moving into the British Prime Minister's residence at 10 Downing Street in London, she was, or her husband Dennis was asked by a rather wily Newsman, who wears the pants in these house? To which he responded, I do. That's after I wash them and iron them. <laughs> she was a tough lady, but she was also a soft soul. In fact, before becoming a British politician, she was one of the team of British scientists who developed the process of making soft ice cream. Thank you, Lady Thatcher because without her we probably wouldn't have Foster's Freeze. A gentle soul in other regards as well. It was 25 years ago, this coming October, back in 1984, that at the Grand Hotel of Brighton, England, where a conference was being held at about 2 o'clock in the morning, a terrorist bomb exploded. It was intended for Thatcher. But fortunately, she was spared, as were most of her cabinet members. But not so a half a dozen of her friends who had come to spend the time at that place with them. They were all killed, at least a half a dozen of them. The following Sunday morning, Margaret Thatcher went to church as she always did. But in particular, that Sunday morning was very different than previous Sunday mornings had been as she sang the great songs of faith in the Anglican Church and sang the Anglican liturgy and listened to the sermon and saw the candles in the altar and saw the, the sunlight flooding through the stained glass windows upon the altar, this iron lady wept. 
She wept because suddenly, she said, everything around her had been changed by the loss of her dear friends. Even the familiar had now, in a rather odd sort of a way, become unfamiliar to her. And I know that there are many of you here who have had the same experience in your lives during the course of this past year. Many of us know from our own personal experiences with the death of a loved one, the power that death has to make even the familiar suddenly seem unfamiliar. The power that it has to make the same surroundings suddenly feel so different than what they did but a week or a month or a year ago. The power that it has to suddenly strip our homes and our hearts and our lives of those who are dear to us, of those always so near to us that now it's hard to imagine that they seem so far away from us. We know the feeling. With the passing of every year in the course of our lives, we all know it. And if we don't, we will. And we learn to know it well. We can certainly identify with Lady Thatcher at the death of her dear friends. Even as we can with one of the characters in the Broadway musical entitled Les Miserables, you'll remember perhaps when this young man, seeing so many of his friends killed in an ill-fated attempt at a rebellion, sang this rather sad song and he sang there's grief that can't be spoken there's a pain that goes on and on empty chairs at empty tables friends dead and gone we've all sung that song if not we will husbands wives mothers fathers grandfathers grandmothers all too often sons and daughters good friends gone empty chairs at our tables Undoubtedly, that's the sort of pain that must have grabbed the disciples. That's the kind of pain that must have gripped the women who suddenly had Jesus stripped from them by force, ripped from them so quickly and then nailed so quickly to a Roman cross that was on a hill just outside of the city of Jerusalem, a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Devastated by what they saw happen on that cross, their minds must have been confused. Their confidence crushed by that tragic and horrific death of the one in whom they placed so many of their hopes, the one in whom they placed their dreams for the future. Victims of the obvious sins of other people, not just the Romans and the Jews that cried out, but victims also. They knew it of their own sins, and somehow they knew that their own sins were inexplicably involved in the crucifixion of this one that they loved so dearly, that they loved so much. They knew it. Their sins, the sin of others, now being further complicated by circumstances that were far beyond their control, it must have all seemed so confusing to them. At first, to them, sin had undoubtedly done its worst, and their sins, it certainly seemed to them, were far bigger, far bigger than the man of whom John the Baptist had said, the man on the cross of whom John the Baptist had earlier said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now it seemed not that he had taken sin away, but from their perspective as they looked at the cross, it must have seemed to them at first that sin had taken him away. And that death was holding him down. Sin does that, you know. Sin will take people away. And death will hold people down. 
Therefore, Scripture says, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death has spread unto all men because all have sinned. Sin puts us down, and death holds us down. Even as the prophet Isaiah said in today's Old Testament lesson, he calls death that shroud that enfolds all people. He calls it that blanket that covers all nations. It's there for all. It's the common denominator of us all. It comes to most of us much sooner than we wish it would, not just to those who are 70, 80, 90 years old and more, but all too often it comes to youth and to children too, as it came by way of violence this past week to little eight-year-old Sandra Cantu of Tracy, California, or to the two little children killed by a gunman yesterday in Louisiana, or by way of natural disaster to the students who perished last week under the dormitories destroyed by earthquake in Italy. You see, it is, as the prophet said, death is that shroud that enfolds all people, that blanket that covers all nations. Any wonder that the disciples were afraid in the face of death as they saw it there, as we perceive it here? Any wonder at all that they were afraid of that? Men, Scripture says, who fled in fear when they saw it all happen at the time of Jesus' arrest. They fled in fear. And then later they huddled together, locked in the upper room. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jews, Scripture tells us. And the women, they were afraid too. There weren't any iron ladies among them. They were fearful. How many times in our text for today do we hear that the women were afraid? It says they were alarmed. It then says they were trembling. It says they were bewildered. The women went out, it says, and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Five times in a few sentences, a, a terrified bunch, be it men or women, frightened alike into silence. And who can blame them? Who can blame them for saying nothing unto anyone? After all, isn't it true that hatred for the king is often transferred also then to the king's couriers? And this is their king. He had a sign above his cross that read, King of the Jews. Would the violence done to him now be transferred to his couriers if they went out and brought the message of him elsewhere? They most certainly thought that the same thing might happen if they were identified as his couriers and his confessors as well. Just last week, my wife and I finished watching the first season of a television miniseries entitled The Tudors. Perhaps some of you have seen some of it. A relatively accurate presentation of the life and the times of Henry VIII. In one of its episodes where he's confronting issues with the King of France, his name was Francis I, reminded me of an anecdote that I read some years ago about a time when Henry VIII ordered one of his couriers to carry a message from him to the French king. And the message was angry, and the message was heated, and the message was threatening. Now, understandably, the courier was quite concerned. He was quite nervous about being the bearer of all of this bad and angry news. And so he gathered the strength to say to his monarch, risking a lot to be able to say it. And he went to his monarch, King Henry, and he said, Your Majesty, please bear with me. But if the king of France 
is angered by your message to him, he may well cut off my head. Have no fear, King Henry said. If he does, I'll cut off the heads of a hundred Frenchmen in my domain, to which the courier carefully responded, So you may, your majesty, but of all the heads that you cut off, I'm afraid that none of them will fit upon my shoulders. <laughs> and he was right. You see, the king saying, Have no fear, means nothing at all if the king doesn't have the power to back it up. To restore what the courier loses, especially if what he loses is his own life. And that's why, dear friends, of all days, this day, today, Easter, is so indispensably important to our faith and to our confession, and that's why the words first spoken by the angel of God to the women who arrived at the vacated tomb are vitally important to each and every one of us and should be in our hearts and upon our lips. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Those are the words that declare for all time and for all places, for all people to hear that our king is different from every other. Our king will restore Whatever in life is faithful couriers and confessors lose at the hands of the world. Those are words that resurrect hope within us when it seems in every other way that all hope has died. Remember the two disciples of our Lord on the road to Damascus after the crucifixion had taken place? Hope for them had died, hadn't it? What was it that they said? They said, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Notice the past tense of what they said. We had hoped, they hoped no more. They had had hoped, but they had none. Hope died for them when Jesus died. Hope no more. Some anonymous poet of a previous era put it this way. He said, he died, and with him perished all that men hold dear. Hope lay beside him in the sepulcher, and love grew corpse cold, and all things beautiful beside died when he died. But then, thankfully, that same poet goes on to add these words. But he rose, and with him hope rose, and life and light. Men said, not Christ, but death died yesternight. And joy and truth and all things virtuous rose when he rose. The angel had a right. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Words about a resurrected reality confirmed and then verified not simply by a handful of frightened men who would hide out in an upper room at the first opportunity they had, or a handful of bewildered and confused women who saw him and spoke with him on the very path that they had walked down that morning to see him in the tomb. The testimony of those men and women alone, having seen him alive, they said they did, would have been compelling enough evidence for us and for any reasonable soul to say with the angels, throughout the ages, and the church as well, he's risen, he's risen indeed, that would be enough, but that's not all there is. To, to the eyewitness testimony of those many men and women, 
Not only once or twice that repeatedly saw him after his death, we must most certainly add the testimony that St. Paul talks about, as we heard in the epistle lesson this morning, I delivered unto you of first importance, he said, that which I received, the Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared unto Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom remain yet alive. Indisputable evidence in any court of law. That's resurrection reality, dear friends. That's that upon which the church and your life is built. That's hope restored, summoning us to face our sins boldly and to say, charge me with whatever you will. It has no place anymore in my life. None, I say, because of the resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ, which is my signed receipt, my guarantee that my sins have been paid for in full, my eternal warranty that God himself now holds nothing against me. That's hope revived, summoning me to face the troubles and the trials and the challenges of life head on, saying with St. Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's hope renewed as we face sickness and loneliness and ultimately even each of us facing death head on, knowing as the Old Testament lesson today says that through the resurrection of his son, God has, quote, swallowed up death, swallowed it forever, and he will therefore wipe away all the tears from our eyes. That's hope resurrected. Laying a hold by God's grace of the words of our Lord Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, because I live, you shall live also, he says. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, as it lives its way out in your life and in mine and as people throughout the world, takes hell itself on takes hell itself on and the opponents of Christ in our time and in our day saying no more. Enough of this. You're no longer in control because Jesus Christ lives and Jesus Christ reigns here. One of the greatest preachers of the early Christian church, John Chrysostom, way back in about 380 AD, more than 1600 years ago, got into the pulpit on an Easter Sunday morning, and he spoke to his Easter people about hope being revived through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And he spoke to them also about hell being in turmoil because of the resurrection of Christ. And referring to the Old Testament, he said, Isaiah foretold this when he said, you, O hell, have been troubled by encountering God below. And then Chrysostom went on to explain that text and he says, hell is in turmoil because it's been eclipsed. Hell is in turmoil because it's been mocked. Hell is in turmoil for it is destroyed. Hell is in turmoil for it's annihilated. Hell is in turmoil for it is now made captive. Hell grasped a corpse and discovered it to be God. Hell seized earth and in doing so it encountered the Lord of all heaven. Hell took what it saw and was overcome by what it had not seen. Hell is indeed 
still in perpetual turmoil because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it all began on the day that we celebrate today, on Easter Sunday, on the day when the bashed and the battered and the shattered hopes of the first disciples were revived and resurrected and renewed through their encounter with the risen and the living Lord Jesus Christ, the same risen Christ who encounters you today through the word that you hear here and through the sacrament that you will soon here receive the same Lord that encountered the disciples coming to you and encountering you right now. So you don't lose hope. Do not lose hope. Even when it appears that all in the world that is wrong is in control. Even when in your own life's experience, it appears at first that death has won the day. Don't lose hope. Death can't win the day. It hasn't won the day, not for you, not for any of God's people. And you know why. Because, as the great English author and Christian apologist G.K. Chesterton once said, Christianity has seemed to die and rise many times over, but it never loses hope because it has a God who knows his way out of the grave. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. A blessed Easter to you all. Amen.
Because of the reconciliation Christ has won for us on the cross and has been assured to us in the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus, we now approach our Father in heaven in prayer, beseeching him on behalf of all people, the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all, according to their need. We pray. O Lord God, we say on this holy festival day, the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, is your declaration for all time and places that our sins can no longer condemn us, that no matter how great and grievous they've been paid for in full by the holy blood and wounds of Christ Jesus, and they are, therefore, eternally forgiven. For this Easter triumph and Easter joy, we give you thanks and praise. Now let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For your church, O risen Christ, throughout the world, Bless her with faithful pastors who will preach Christ and him crucified for our sin and raised again for our justification. Keep her steadfast in the faith to confess that faith without compromise. And grant unto all your people that love of your Son, which is grateful for baptism into his death and resurrection, yearns to hear his word, and hungers and thirsts for his holy supper. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Risen to hear our soul's complaint and to give us daily breath, we pray, O Christ, for all among us who are struggling with sickness and infirmity, including Paul Duell and Robert and Dorothy Latham and Dick and Elsie Much and Marguerite Helt and Hugh Ryan, Margaret Schuster. We pray for others, including Jan Williams and Glenn Miller, both ill. Be with those preparing for surgery and all confined to care facilities, and with those undergoing medical tests, including former member of the congregation, Lene Cantu, that you would grant to them each the confident hope of tomorrow's heaven and your daily help in their troubles today. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. God of all comfort, we pray for those who today remember family members and friends who have died. Uphold with a peace the world cannot give all who mourn those who've died in the faith, strengthening them with the promises of your resurrected Son. That he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And because I live, you shall live also. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the lonely, that they would find companionship. For those needy, that life's necessities would be provided. For those in conflict with each other, that they would be moved to repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. We pray that they would find guidance and confidence and assurance in your resurrected and ever-present Son. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for our nation that we would be governed well as all of its laws and our courts preserve and protect the rights of all. And for all the nations of the world that where injustice and war destroy lives, good, civil order and peace may prevail. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for your church here and everywhere and all to whom it today administers the sacrament of your holy supper that no one would receive it to their harm by denying the presence of Christ's very body and blood within, but rather that all who receive it would do so believing that in that body and blood they receive the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of faith as you prepare their souls and bodies for the day of resurrection and life everlasting. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Receive our Easter prayers and praise, O Lord, and in fellowship with those who have gone before us in the faith, keep us in faithful communion with your holy church and steadfast unto the end, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our once crucified and now risen Lord, who lives 
and together reigns in all glory with you and the Holy Spirit now and for eternal ages to come. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God. And most especially are we bound to praise you on this day for the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, the very Paschal Lamb who was sacrificed for us and bore the sins of the world. By his dying, he has destroyed death, and by his rising again, he has restored to us everlasting life. Therefore, with Mary Magdalene, Peter and John, with all the witnesses of the resurrection, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, on those whom you created and sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior. With repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood, as he bids us do in his own testament. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.
O God, the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.